Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sassy Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Lucy Pinto. I'm excited to share with you my stories of everyday resilience and allow others to share theirs. My goal is to help people heal and find inner peace through our shared stories. This episode may include profanity or discuss topics that may be triggering for some. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sassy Warrior Podcast. It's Lucy again. I am so excited today to interview a friend of mine, Matthew Williams with ProPro. Hi, Matthew. Hey, how you doing? Good. So Matt is the founder of ProPro Protein Bars, which is one of my favorites. The only protein bar that I've been told that I should eat. I actually had a coffee flavored one this morning. It was absolutely delicious. (laughs) I had a blueberry almond one. That's one of my favorites too. Matt is also the host of the Wake Up the Sun podcast as well. He has a foundation to give back to the community and he's an all around incredible guy. Honestly, Matt, you're one of the most humble, inspirational people I've ever met. Somebody that I really look up to and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here because I know that your time is limited. You're a very busy person. I would love for you to tell my listeners a little bit about your story with sobriety, how you got to where you are today, how FroPro came about. Yeah. First off, thank you for having me on the show. It's always awesome to do this and connect with people. And we connected a while back. And I love that you called your podcast Sassy Warrior because sassy is one of my favorite words. It's the only really word that I ever tell my wife. I'm like, you're being really sassy right now. (laughs) It's a polite word, in my opinion. But yeah, no, thank you for having me on the show. And I love what you're doing. And just really cool that we connected when we did and kind of watching you do your thing and, and your journey and what you're all about and how you're kind of growing has been cool. Because I remember sitting in ProPro, the first office, because we're sitting in HQ2 now, or at least I am, and just kind of hearing your story and what you went through. And we had a mutual friend that's gone through some challenges in her life. And I just think it's always cool about people helping people and connecting how they connect. So my story, it's pretty similar to a lot of people that we're connected to in different ways. I worked really hard. I came from a great family. I'm the youngest of three boys. And at some point or another, I just really, really couldn't stop drinking and drinking in all its forms. And I always thought it was okay because, you know, I was teaching and I was going to school and getting my master's. I was doing all these things I thought I was supposed to do. And, you know, if I was doing those things, if I was engaging in helping others, if I was raised a certain way, that if I worked really hard and I kept moving forward, that a couple bumps in the road weren't that big of a deal. And, and no one in my family is like, no one's an alcoholic or an addict. And every family has their thing. And you know everybody has their own thing in their dynamic. But I'm the only one that just lost the power of choice in alcohol and drugs. And it ruined my life slowly. It was not a wake-up call immediately. It was many different bottoms of financial, physical, mental, emotional, and the years of working really hard, tearing things down, working really hard, tearing things down. That was a big deal. That was a big thing for me because I always really wanted to do well and I always meant to do well. And then there was times where like, I was very entitled and I was like, well, I deserve to go out and I deserve to do this. And you can't, I pay my bills. And it's funny when I used to say that kind of stuff because when I really, really got in the jam, I would have to call on family to help me out if I really needed it. And that was usually the case when it got really bad. So a lot of poor decisions over many years and kind of got a taste of what alcoholism looked like from my first incident with alcohol where I had a consequence. 
And I thought if I go, you know, one of these fellowship or one of these meetings, I could understand what people were talking about. And I listened to them and I lasted two or three days. And I was like, I'm nothing like these people. This is stupid. They're talking about some really crazy stuff. I just graduated college. I'm driving the wrong way down 95 trunk. That's what everybody does. And it was my first taste that I didn't hear recovery, but it was, oh, this is where people go and they mess up and looking at some consequences. But it took me another seven and a half, eight years to really hit bottom on all those levels I mentioned. And when I did that, it was pretty dark, pretty dark time to be in a place where you want to stop doing something and you physically can't. And it's just that that physical allergy, that mental obsession, and just the challenge of thinking myself, well, we'll do this, and I can do this, I got this, and if I can build this, and I can go to school, and I can graduate, and I can do all these great things in life, I surely can stop drinking. I just couldn't. So I ended up in a really dark place in 2010 of getting into having another really serious consequence, looking at some serious more consequences because of that. And I just hit a bottom where I was being sick and tired and I kind of just finally admitted and finally just called out that I was I needed help. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and I finally asked for help. It was no longer a drinking issue, a situation, a problem. I'm an alcoholic and I really don't know what to do. I wanted to die. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. Again, no one in my family is like me with addiction and you get these feelings. If you don't know somebody that's in recovery or you yourself, when you struggle with something, it just feels like it's the world against you. And you feel like it would be a lot better if you weren't in the world to feel that pain and cause other people. And in reality, yes, people love us. And I know I have family that loves me, but at the end of the day, everybody's looking out for themselves in the nicest way possible and everybody's struggling with something. So I was very, very lucky to have a friend that took my call, helped me get into a program. I was a teacher at the time and I made a phone call to one of my students' parents, and they were involved in a program of recovery. And I started to get plugged in. And I got plugged in, no driver's license. I lost the ability to operate a motor vehicle, lost my job because I decided I wanted to go back north. And then it was go back north and go back to the terrorizing Connecticut and New York or stay in Florida and get some help. And there's a lot of recovery options here and fortunate enough to stay down here. And that was the beginning of the journey essentially. So how did ProPro come about? Yeah. So at the beginning of everything, for those that have never started over, or those that know someone start over, it's you kind of really try everything. So I was biking a lot of places, fortunate enough. My girlfriend's brother, now brother-in-law, he lent me a bike and I was able to ride around Boca. And there's a couple of people that gave me a chance. And I was training at different parks and working. I was a baseball coach and I did a bunch of different things. And one of the things of if you're a South Florida resident or you've been here for a period of time, it can be sunny one day and it can be raining the other day. And, you know, it's just interesting. You have to be able to travel in extreme heat with food that doesn't go bad and things that aren't smelly. And I literally, for lack of anything better, I was sitting at a desk. I was at a job that someone gave me and I was fortunate enough to just start messing around in my kitchen and kind of looking and reading about health and nutrition a little bit more. And I just started making this bar that I had in my house. I had some whey-based protein, some peanut butter. I had oats and honey and basics like most people have in their pantry or their cupboard. And I just put some stuff together and I kind of made it like a brownie. And it was easy for me to put in a plastic bag, put in backpack and bike all around town and make sure that 
I could eat when I needed to eat. And I wasn't going hungry or anything like that. I want to be perfectly clear, but it was easy for me to take something with me because I really didn't have a lot of money to buy anything, go out to eat. And it was just a easy way to like have a little snack bar, have a banana, have a bunch of water. And for the most part, it helped me get around Boca while I was <laughs> biking around Boca or taking the bus around Boca or Delray or Boynton or wherever I was. So that's basically how it started. And one of my client's mothers, she wanted to try what I was eating. And I was like, yeah, you can fast for mom. And mom sat me down and said, oh, what is it? Sure. Daughter ate it. She's like, is that healthy? And I said, yeah, that relatively is a healthy snack that I make. And she's like, this is really good. How do you do this? And talked to her about it a little bit more. And, and the funny thing was, is our mutual friend, Scott, <laughs> he said, you seem to have women come into your life and essentially point you in the right direction and tell you what to do. And, and, <laughs> and that's pretty much the case because this woman, Carol, said, here, sit down. What are we going to call this? And I was like, well, it's a frozen protein bar, Fro-Fro. And bought me a couple websites. And she kind of knew my situation, but it was kind of weird that this guy that was a referral from another family friend was training her kid. I was also tutoring because I was a teacher as well. I was formerly a teacher and I was able to do both. Go in, do after school work, train. So it was like a kind of double whammy of doing that. And she was just looking to help me out and sat me down and bought these websites. And then she said, go test this out. And I really didn't understand what she meant because I literally had a backpack with my stuff in it and snacks and change of clothes. And I sat on it for about a year because at that time, I was still very new in recovery. And I was still very ashamed of where I had ended up. And the thought of someone trying something and not liking it and being a perfectionist, if someone really didn't like it, it probably would have hurt my feelings even more and I would have shut down. But Time takes time. And I was fortunate enough, one of my friends opened a gym in Delray, still there, slash fitness. And as I was training there, when they opened, a little bit into that, I said, Hey, would you guys mind if I shared this snack bar with some of your clients and get some honest feedback? So I don't want anybody to know it's me. I don't want anybody to know I made it. My head I was like, I don't want anybody to take pity on the guy that bikes here, or takes the bus here, the newly sober guy. Don't want to pat on the back. I want truth. And it was kind of cool. They were just like, hey, guys, try this bar. This is a local company that dropped off some samples and got to watch people's response. And I got to hear their comments. And it was cool because we left paper there and people could write down what they liked or what they didn't like. And the response was very positive. And we did that a couple more times. And one of the women that took class there, she said, oh, I would love to try this. Do you know if the company used this kind of protein, that kind of protein? And I kind of said, well, I make it. And I told her it was in it. She's like, listen, I'd love to try this. I'm a vegetarian. I'm a vegan. I don't eat anything dairy. And she kind of coached me through some things and said, well, if you try it this way, or if you use something other kind of protein, or you use some other things in this, I'll try it. And I went out. I was like, oh man, I got to try this. This is cool. And I learned a little bit more, made the bar, brought it back. She's like, this is great. Bring me a hundred. I own a juice bar. And this is before juice bars really blew up down here. And I had friends that were lawyers and I remember bringing to her a hundred bars wrapped in little plastic glad wraps with a sticker on it. You know, it looked very homemade. And I had like a 14, 15, some however many page contract from my lawyer friends that were like, just looking out for me. I just kind of went in there and she just like looked at me and she said, man, I'm trying to help you out. Put the papers away. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to do. Give me these hundred bars. If I sell them, I'm going to sell them for this. I'm going to pay you for this. And she basically 
told me this is how it's going to go. At that point, I was like, okay, yeah, I don't really know what consignment means. And I learned that it's like, you do something and you give it to someone and if they sell it, great. And if they don't, you know, you come pick it up. And what was cool is a day or two, three later, she called me back. She's mad. I need a hundred more. I sold out and she put them for sale. And, And that was kind of the start. That was the start of me biking, taking the bus somewhere, getting dropped off somewhere, dropping something off. And then the connections of, oh, this is great. I love it. Go see my friend. She has a place here. Go see my friend. He has a place here. And that's all I did. I just kind of knocked on doors and brought them around. And I got people that were in the food industry's response to what I was trying out. And there were some yeses, there were some no's, there were some get the hell out of here's and hey, this is a cute idea. You know, come back when it's legit. I always stayed positive and just kind of realized like this was fun on the side. And I was doing that while I was doing other things to, you know, sustain my life and pay rent and make sure I got around. So it was one of those things that was I mean, I was already in a very humbling position because of how I felt about myself, but it was a learning opportunity and even more humbling, basically listening to people that knew better than me telling me what to do. Gotcha. That's awesome. I know sometimes along the way, especially as a perfectionist, you get to the point where you start to see some success and it can be a little scary to have that point of elevation where you are seeing things going right, but you're still doubting yourself. And you almost want to pull back. I don't know if you ever went through that. What kept you going through the process of building your business to what it is today? There are still moments where I want to pull back. And it's really challenging because I want to be good at everything. Even things that we do now need change. And you know, I think there was a lot of things rooted in starting over for me where I started to trust the process, rely on something greater than myself. And that takes different forms for a lot of people. But trusting that process and just saying, I didn't create this. And we talked about this with Chelsea and I, my wife, and we've talked about, it's like, I didn't create this to be a business or anything. I created it because it was something that helped me be creative. And also it provided a service to me and a value to me. And I got to share it with others. And that's kind of what was the most important. So I always tried to look at it as, this is fun. I like this. People like this. I'm going to do this until people say, stop doing this, or I don't like this. And again, there was a lot of people that in the nicest way were looking out for me and they're like, refrigerated snack bar, that's stupid. In a nice way. Some of them were that intense. And and I appreciated that because I've shared it now. I used to not share about this, but there was, I think it was like maybe my friend Von Dugan and his podcast where I actually shared deep down, I believe what I was doing was something that I needed to keep doing for whatever reason. And whether it's make delicious peanut butter snack bar and a lot of different flavors or be able to tell the story and share the story and reach other people that may not believe that there's another chance out there, connect with others in the community, whatever reason it is, there was always that I'm doing this. I don't care what you say. I don't care if you stand in the way. I don't care if you spit on my face. I don't care if you really try to move me to go another route. This is something I'm supposed to do. And I always ignored that. In the past, before I got sober, I would ignore that. I always had these feelings like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. And I had the feelings of, hey, you should be doing this. I would go against those being like, oh, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Fortunately, I do want to do this. I'm grateful to do this. And there are less and less and few and few days where I'm just like, I don't know if I can keep going because I have an amazing support. My wife is awesome. The community, people like yourself are supporting me when we're supporting each other to be better versions of ourselves. And I think that's more important. And that sounds corny to some people, I'm sure. But that's more important to me than 
everyone's like, well, what are you going to do? You sell the company? But I said, you know, if it comes to that, I'm looking at it as here's what I'm doing today. I have still have clients that I work with. I get to still do the daily deliveries with our assistant, Emily, and she's been a vital part to this. And I get to do certain things with Chelsea and do things for business. And there's all these things that I get to do because of this. And it's just an amazing opportunity. So I don't really have those feelings anymore. But there were days in the beginning where like, I was still trying to understand how to go from a crudely wrapped package of peanut butter snack bar to where we are today. Some people know this, but the packaging and everything's changing. I don't know when this podcast is going to air, but <laughs> it's literally changing at the end wow. of this month. And someone took our idea and said, hey, this is cool. But if you want more people to understand what this is that don't live in Florida or yeah. where you sell California or who know you in New York, and you want Sally from Texas to understand what this is, we have to change this, 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 this. So it's a learning process. Exciting. And it's, it's exciting. It's also someone basically taking something you created and that was given to you to run with and say, well, this is great, the core, but we're going to do this, 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 this. And you're like, okay, great, let's do that. So again, it comes down to there are certain things that can stand in the way and be very challenging and be very upsetting and kind of rock the boat. But I believe deep down, I'm going to be doing this until there's that feeling of I'm not supposed to be doing this anymore. That's amazing. And I have to say that I appreciate you sharing that because I'm still early in sobriety. I'm just a little over seven months. and that's what I struggle with is that point of knowing that I'm working on different projects and all these different things that I want to do and having that self-doubt, not knowing if I have the courage to keep going with whether it's the podcast or whether it's another project. It's definitely inspiring to me. So I know you wake up early. What's your daily routine? How do you manage everything that you, you know, you have your workout clients, you have meetings, you have business all this different stuff, time with your friends, giving back to the community. How do you manage all that? And what does your day look like? I'm a big calendar guy. So I know my clients are on set days and set times, unless obviously something comes up. So I know those days are blocked off. And before I used to try to book everything and leave myself 5 to 15 minutes to get to somewhere else. And here in South Florida, it takes like 20 minutes tops to get anywhere because of how many people that are here. But my day starts up with my eyes open, usually on their own, sometimes depending if I don't get a good night's sleep or I'm up or watching a show or something or just kind of unwinding, just fired up from the day before. Depending on the sleep, I wake up, I have a huge glass of water next to my bed. I chug that and then I usually go downstairs. I'm big into a little morning prayer on my own, connecting to my higher power, my universe, my quiet time. Because I can wake up sometimes my mind is just like this. And other times I can wake up and just feel foggy or tired. And other times it's just like nothing's going on. So whatever it is, I try to get centered. And then I usually will go either get coffee or some more water. And then I'll journal. I read like a daily reflections book. But I'll journal about how I feel, what's going on. The only reason I did that is because someone suggested I do that when I got sober. So I have 11 years of literally journal entries from every single day. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I look back at some of these sometimes. And in the beginning, I started to do these because I was in school and I was teaching. And right after my DUI, I felt really compelled to just start writing about how I felt because I felt like a fraud and a phony and my kids were taking a test. And I was sitting, literally like I'm sitting at a desk and I just started writing about what I felt. And I still have that spiral notebook 
And since then, my journals have condensed. But uh, someone said, you know, read these daily reflections. It's really good to kind of focus on, you know, get your mind right, get connected. So after prayer, and little journaling and meditation and whatnot, I usually try to do something physical, whether that's a jog, workout, depending if I'm training or not for something. It really depends on if I'm training for something. And if not, it's something like so. After that, it's usually a meeting. I'm a big morning meeting maker. I like to connect with other people that are like me. I go to a fellowship either in Delray or Boca, and that also kind of helps me start my day right. And then from there, it's like I said, I have clients on certain days. I know certain days are every day. If you're a business owner, is something's going on and not everything goes according to plan. But with clients, I know exactly where I'll be from what time. And then the rest of the day is pro pro related whether it's podcasting, whether it's rapping, delivering, account calls, whatever it is, marketing, there's always something along with ProPro. And then I try to weave in some of the personal stuff that everyone's like, oh man, it must be nice. You're golfing again. Yeah, no, I've been up since you know 4am working and I've worked an eight-hour day. It's now noon and I'm going to go golf for two hours and then probably go back to work. And I try to weave in things and sometimes I do a poor job of it because I overextend myself. I'm starting to get better on it where I don't have to do something every second of the day. Even though my mom used to say, pack as much experience into one day as possible. She used to say that about my drinking. She's like, you packed a lifetime of consequences and a lifetime of experience into a short amount of time. And it's a cool thing when you work for yourself and even when I work for somebody else, you can plan on doing those things and taking a break and focusing. Like when I worked for somebody else, I was able to have my hour break. And while I was doing that, I did go scroll the internet in terms of social media. It was, I'm going to research nutrition and how people look at bars and why this is important, why that's important. It led to the improvement of FroPro. And you hear a lot about people talking about side hustles and things that they like to do if they're working for somebody else. And I think that's really great. A problem, and you didn't ask this, but I literally just thought of it. And this question gets asked often is, do I burn the bridge and just go after that one thing? And it's really tough to do nowadays, whether you have kids, you have dependents, you have anything, it's really tough to walk away from something when you don't have a plan. So I still train people because I love doing it, but also it's income to help pay the bills. When you're a business owner, a lot of the things that you make go back into the business, reinvest in the people that are investing their time with you. And it's a big challenge that a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I used to make something like that. And I used to do this. And I'm like, well, how's it going? They're like, well, it was really hard. And I'm like, oh, it's no shit. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. And it's really hard to keep it going, like we going back to your first question. And I think it's important. A lot of people don't understand the incredible amount of work that goes into starting a business, running a business, maintaining a business, and keeping it going. Unfortunately for me, I have a rock star partner who kicks ass and does the things that I really suck at. And I get to do some of the things that she doesn't want to do, even though she's really good at them. So you find your team, you find your support, whether you're starting something, a podcast on your own, you're starting other things that you want to do. It's, you know, who cares? You know, it's like not the tough guy thing. Who cares what anybody thinks? Because we all care what other people think. That's just how we are. But just go do it. There's going to be people that don't align with you. Okay. People that do, even better. So I think it's really cool that you said courage. To have the courage and the faith in yourself to go do something like that in the face of everything else. Or people saying, you know, when I'd start a podcast, they're like, dude, there's like 
2 million podcasts out there. And it's like, okay, well, there's a lot of people here in South Florida that inspire me that, you know, may inspire somebody else. And I don't need to get a huge deal on Spotify like Joe Rogan. I can do this and really, really enjoy it and get to talk to people, A, that I love and care about, and B, get to meet other people that are like, hey, you should interview so-and-so. And that's the coolest part about it is we really, we really can do anything we want as long as we get out of our own way. And you really never know when you're putting something out into the world, how it's going to affect somebody. So you may not know this, but I've listened to, I think, every episode of your podcast. I love it. It's very inspiring hearing people's different stories and you know people in recovery and where they are today and seeing how they've grown. So I actually listened to your episode with Scott. And then I was impressed with Scott. He's a man of many words. And so I ended up jumping onto his podcast and listening to that. And then eventually he had an episode with Matt Cardone, who you just had on your podcast. And that's how I got connected with Matt to meditate. So you never know how you're going to connect with somebody and then change their life completely. Because maybe I would have never connected with that. And what's cool about Scott is I went on his podcast and I had been on a bunch of them. And I loved his setup at his old place where he used to live. And I had met him years prior before he was so involved with what he is now. And I remember I just said, hey, man, where do you... I mean, he was integral in me starting my podcast. It's like, where do you get all this stuff? And I'm not a big online shopper. And he's like, dude, just go to Amazon, buy this, 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 and you're good to go. And I literally did... Again, I did what he told me to do. And I'm literally staring at the table of all the stuff that he told me to buy. I even bought more stuff that I don't need and have never used. And it's sitting in a box in the corner. And you know that's the cool part about it. So how old is FroPro? How long has FroPro been around? Idea in 2011, business officially in 2013, really became kick-ass in terms of my opinion in 2016 when my wife came on board. So you could say it's 10 years old. You could say it's technically 8 years old from actual business in South Florida. Or you could say it's 5 years old because it really took off because it wasn't just me and it started to be more of a business because my wife used to run some of these business and knows the ins and outs. So really kind of took off. I was writing things down in a notebook and she came in, she's like, you know, computers exist. And I said, yeah, but like, that's not my forte. And she took it to the next level. So I always break it down like that. And I let whoever wants to decide how old it is. We usually say, we usually say eight. Like, I think we're, we just celebrated eight years because we're officially business in the state of Florida since 2013. So when you were talking about your days and how busy they are and everything that it's taken to grow your business, is there ever been a point where you kind of wake up and you're just, I don't want to do anything today. Like you just want to shut off. And do you ever take vacations? I think you went somewhere recently, but I see you going here and there and you're out at night, you're having ice cream, you're hanging with your friends, doing this, all these different things. And I'm like, when does he recharge? Does he ever just want to shut down? You know, a lot of times during the week, there are certain things planned, but there are certain days that there's weekends. What's great is events in the world starting to open up. Chelsea and I, we really embraced the whole stay at home thing for COVID. It was kind of tough, but we went on walks, we stayed home, I read more, I hung out with my cat more, you know, I recharged. So... I go through those periods of time where we charge and I don't look forward to vacations. I don't look forward to the weekend or dread Monday. But when I feel like I need to recharge, I do. So if I'm really like starting to burn out, I have no problem calling another human being that can't train. If I give them enough time to say, Hey, I'm going to take this day. I don't go to play golf. I don't work out. I don't do anything. I usually just take the day and just kind of unplug. 
And then there's other times like I don't get sick often, but when I do, I go down to the count. I'm a big baby and it's like I'm out five days. It's like sleep, eat, drink water, go to the bathroom, sleep, nap. And there are those days where it's just like it's like a huge recharge because my body just shuts down. And I try not to, I mean, no one wants to get sick and try to get sick, but it's usually, you know, weeknights are pretty low key and I recharge. I'm usually trying to be winding down in bed by 8.39. I'm starting to do less and less running in the morning and trying to do things where I can sleep a little bit more and take my time and be more intentional. I, I kind of shared about that today. It's like doing things with integrity. It's, I don't need to do this and maintain that. I can change how I do things. Even though it's part of my routine, I can put it in, into another part of my routine. So... There are days and I'm looking forward to seeing my family in June. Uh, we will be going away for a couple of days. But one of the things about operating business, and we still feel like we're just getting started, is you really have to be here. You really have to be kind of present. So I know eventually that if I want to go somewhere or we're looking at going somewhere, we try to do that and honor that. But for the most part, I love my life. I love what I get to do. I love my daily routine. If I need to shoot over the golf course, I will. If I want to jump in the pool to go to the ocean, play volleyball. Those are, believe it or not, recharging moments for me. Because I don't really golf. Sometimes I'll do funny videos with people on golf. And there's other times I just am out there by myself and it's just quiet. It's just me. I love, I love it. it. It's important. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I admire about you the most is that whenever you have an opportunity, you put your wife on a pedestal. And you clearly love your wife, appreciate her. Can you tell us a little bit about Chelsea and how she contributes to your business and your sobriety and kind of holds everything together for you? Because I think it's a beautiful story. Yeah, we have a funny, we met, she was working for a family where I was a teacher. We joked, we met on the carpool line and I was moving back to New York. I rescinded my contract for another year and it was weird. We met right before that and you know, I said, I'm leaving and let's hang out and grab dinner. And we started to hang out. I was still drinking at the time. And soon after meeting her, my life exploded. And what's crazy about that is I told her specifically, I said, you're young. I was 28 at the time. She was 21. I said, your life is like, you're really young. I don't think you understand the gravity of where my life is at. Run the other way. And thanks for being nice. And it was just one of those things where she stuck around and she walked through a lot of challenges with me. And she knew that sobriety was first. And it's tough to tell somebody that you're starting to like, hey, like you're important, but this is more important. Because if I don't handle this and work on this, I won't be around long enough to work on you and be in a relationship with you. And she got that. She is an extremely integral part of my life, for my sobriety, supporting me calling me out, holding me accountable, doing things, as I mentioned before, in the business that I'm not really good at. Not to say not to necessarily learn, but like she knows what's what. And she is the sassy side of Frobro. And really, I understand like putting on a pedestal, but it's just like, I'm very, very clear. There's a lot of people in my life that I love very much and give a lot of why I'm here today to that. And she's number one. Awesome. So what do you think is the secret sauce to your recovery? What has really helped you over the last 10 years keep it together and keep going? I think it's just consistency of doing the same thing that I was told to do when I got here. 
I still do the same things the same way in terms of my morning routine. And that extends into my relationships, my friendships, my business. Pretty open and honest with everybody so they know where I'm at. And I communicate that. I think it's important to communicate that and not try to put on airs. If you're not doing well or if I'm not doing well, I'm going to tell you I'm not doing well. If I'm doing well and I feel good, it's all honor to my higher power and God and the fact that I'm here. Someone said a very important thing to me one time and they just said, it's better to not take credit for anything. Wake up, put in the effort because if you're going to take credit for the good, you got to take credit for the bad. And best to just hand that over and just show up. And, you know, a guy said that I just shared about today was do everything with integrity. You do things with integrity, people will feel it, people will respect it, people will honor that. And those that don't, that's something different. I'm curious. So, is there something that you haven't tried that you'd like to do, like a hobby or a self care, something or other? Like, is there anything that you are dying to try that you haven't tried yet? I, I know you golf, I know you love to work out. I've heard you no, talk I mean, about possibly meditating one day. Yeah, listening to, listening to that, it's like one of the things that I love. I love to be able to give everything. 100%. And I know right now, like, I have one more Ironman coming up and things that I'm training for. So like, I know that's going to be important right now. But after that, I go in and out of yoga, I go in and out of meditation. So I kind of want to do more of those a little bit better. Other than that, I've done a lot of really cool stuff. I've traveled to a lot of cool places. I was very fortunate going to school and traveling abroad and doing all that cool stuff as a young man. I'd like to do some more of that stuff and go with Chelsea and see some places. But I'm pretty content. If something comes up and I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Chances are I'll find a way to do it. Maybe not immediately, but we'll do my best to try. And yeah, I love setting new goals. And when I don't have something I'm working towards, you know, business, obviously, yes. And being a better husband and a better friend and better son and all that stuff. If something were to come up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to try and do better at that. Then I usually will give it a go and try and follow through with it. Cool. So how did you get into Ironman? What triggered you? They're like, that's what I really want to do. I was talking with a friend. His dad had just passed away. And we were just talking about... I hadn't trained for anything. The two races I had trained for running-wise got canceled due to COVID. And then my neighbor, a good buddy of mine, and someone that my wife grew up with had lost his father. And we were just sitting there talking. And when someone dies, it's very, hey, like, what haven't you done that you want to do? And he just said, I've always wanted to do an Ironman. He was a big cyclist. And I said, well, if you sign up, man, I'm in. And he sent me the link and I signed up. I sent it to him. I said, here's my sign. He goes, oh man, you really did it. I said, I told you I would. I was like, I'm committed. So it was like three and a half, four months prior to the one we just did. And it was cool. We got a couple other people involved. And there's one cool race coming up in August, like almost an Olympic one. And another one of my buddies and I are going out to California to do that. And there's a possibility of doing the full next year, but I'm not really sure yet because it's very taxing and I'm just getting old. Don't look good for your age though. Yeah, thank you. Is there something about you that people don't know? Because you've been interviewed a lot. Like, is there any funny quirks? No, I'm pretty open. I mean, I'm a big fan of sweets. So I love donuts and ice cream. I mean, pretty much everybody knows that. There's really nothing about me that is secretive. I lived a secret life for a long time trying to hide my alcoholism. So anything and everything that I get to do is pretty out there. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Like, where do you see pro pro growing? Where do you want to see it going? And where do you see yourself? Pro pro, love to see it nationally sold in every state in the United States and growing and giving other people opportunities and obviously taking care of those that 
that have taken care of me along the way. Personally, I love where I live here and obviously want to keep my place here, but would love to be somewhere in the mountains too, to have access to hiking in the mountains and lakes and rivers and beautiful, beautiful scenery like that. Awesome. Incredible. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to talk about? No, this is great. I'm so excited that uh, (laughs) I could come on a podcast that had the word sassy in it. (laughs) So I just want to share, I know you mentioned earlier how we had gotten together it's interesting how I meet people, run into them. So you actually trained a really good friend of mine. Your protein bars were sold at my women's gym that I went to. I was told that was the only protein bar I was allowed to eat because the rest of them have a bunch of crap in them. And I remember one day somebody mentioning your sobriety and I went on your website and I was like, huh, I'm like this guy, he looks like he looks really happy. And (laughs) he looks like he's got his shit together looks happily married, has this business, gives back to the community, does all this stuff. He looks like he's onto something, you know, and he just happens to be sober. And this was around mid-February of last year. And I reached out to you and you were like, yeah, let's get together and made time for me. And I was able to share my story. And you really opened the door for me and by leading by example in the community and showing up as the person that you are, you made me want to give sobriety a chance. So I have to say thank you so much for that because I have met so many incredible people because of you. And it's so funny when somebody says, oh yeah, Matt Williams. And I'm like, of course, you know, Matt, you know, you're just as cool as he is. And you know, you're very well connected. And I just want to say thank you for showing up every day and doing what you do because you've had an impact on my life. And I know so many people love you so much. So thank you. I know. I appreciate that. It's, yeah, you made me tear up here. I appreciate saying those kind words. And I'm so glad to see you living your best life and getting connected with all these awesome people that we have down here. So I appreciate saying that. Thank you. If you would like to follow Matt, you can find him on Instagram at M-W-A-R Williams with an S at the end. You can try his delicious protein bars at www.gofropro.com. You can follow the protein bar company at GoFroPro on Instagram. And you can also check out his podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It is called The Wake Up The Sun Show, which is fabulous. You got to check it out. Before you go, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast so you can receive new episodes when they are released. If you are enjoying this podcast so far, please take a moment to leave us a review. This is one of the major ways Apple ranks their podcasts, and it really only takes just a few seconds. Thank you for joining me, Lucy Pinto, in this episode of the Sassy Warrior Podcast, Stories of Everyday Resilience. See you next time.